नमस्कार अ वॉम वेलकम टू वर्ल्ड न्यूज एंड इंडियन परस्पेक्टिव ऑन ऑल इंडिया रेडियो दिस इज प्रशांत कुमार सिन्हा एंड विथ मी इज रेणुका ब्रिंगिंग क्लिम्सेज ऑफ मेजर डेवलपमेंट ऑफ द डे फ्रॉम अक्रॉस द ग्लोब ओवर द नेक्स्ट हाफ एन आवर वी शेल ब्रिंग यू द लेटेस्ट फ्रॉम द वर्ल्ड ऑफ पॉलिटिक्स इकोनॉमी स्पोर्ट्स एंटरटेनमेंट एंड मोर The headlines Prime Minister Narendra Modi stresses on making vaccination a collective responsibility in the country cumulative number of covid-19 vaccine doses administered in india crosses the 19 crore mark national recovery rate improves to 87.25% government of india asks states and union territories to review preparedness for prevention and control of the black fungus disease 11 days of hostilities between Israel and Palestine end as ceasefire comes into force South Korea approves Moderna COVID-19 vaccine as the country steps up its vaccination efforts DRDO develops antibody detection based kit Dipcovan and Chipko movement leader and noted environmentalist Sundarlal Bahuguna passes away due to COVID-19 related complications As the number of covid cases is on the rise we appeal to our listeners not to lower the guard follow all precautions and all those who have taken the first dose of covid-19 vaccine to get vaccinated with the second dose at the scheduled time stay safe and protected by following these three simple steps wear a face mask maintain two gaz ki doori for social distancing and focus on hand and face hygiene now the news in detail India has achieved a new landmark in its vaccination drive as the cumulative number of COVID-19 vaccine doses administered in the country exceeded 19 crore with over 14,82,000 vaccine doses given to beneficiaries in the past 24 hours the country has so far administered more than 19 crore 18 lakh doses of the COVID-19 vaccine out of the total nearly 14 crore 91 lakh people have been given the first jab whereas nearly 4 crore 28 lakh beneficiaries have been fully vaccinated with both required doses the union health ministry said that more than 7 lakh 36000 doses of the covid vaccines were given to people in the age group of 18 to 44 years in the past 24 hours with this over 85 lakh 84000 beneficiaries in this age group have been given the first dose of the covid 19 vaccine The center is continuously reviewing and monitoring the vaccination program at the highest level as a tool to protect the most vulnerable population groups in the country from COVID-19. The liberalized and accelerated phase 3 strategy of COVID-19 vaccination has come into force from the 1st of this month under which people in the age group of 18 to 44 years are also being vaccinated. Meanwhile, Prime Minister of India Narendra Modi on Friday said that in the fight against COVID pandemic, it is necessary to secure children from the clutches of the pandemic and to be prepared. He was interacting with doctors and paramedical staff and frontline workers of his parliamentary constituency Varanasi in Uttar Pradesh earlier in the day. Emphasizing on the need for vaccination, the Prime Minister said that we must get ourselves vaccinated when the turn comes and must make vaccination a collective responsibility. The Union Health and Family Welfare Minister Dr Harshvardhan has stressed on the stepping up the vaccination process to effectively deal with the COVID-19 pandemic. He urged on the administration of the second doses of vaccine to the eligible beneficiaries. Dr Harshvardhan on Friday chaired a meeting on COVID-19 situation and vaccination program with the health ministers, lieutenant governors and administrators of nine states and union territories.
Expressing concern over the slow pace of vaccination, Dr. Harshwadhan said that the country would have procured 51 crore vaccine doses between the months of January to July of this year. He further said over 216 crore doses of COVID vaccine would be available by the end of December, which would be sufficient to vaccinate every eligible beneficiary aged above 18 years. He added that the government is providing all the necessary help to the vaccine manufacturers to boost the production of COVID vaccine. The Union Health Minister has said active cases and fresh cases are continuously declining and the recovery rate is improving in the country. He said some states and union territories are witnessing rise in the cases, which is a cause of concern. The minister has said over 43,000 ventilators and 62 lakh vials of remdesivir have already been delivered to the states and union territories. On the black fungus disease, Dr. Harshwardhan has said extensive efforts have been made by the government to provide necessary treatment to the patients. He said the Union Health and Family Welfare Ministry has urged the states and union territories to make fungal infection mucormycosis, known as black fungus, a notifiable disease under the Epidemic Diseases Act 1897. India witnesses a substantial decrease in total number of active cases as it forges ahead in battling the second wave of the COVID-19 pandemic. In the past 24 hours, over 3,57,000 COVID patients successfully recovered from the disease, whereas in the same time span, 2,59,591 fresh cases were recorded nationwide. With this, the recovery rate in the country has further improved to stand at 87.25%. The cumulative share of active COVID cases in the country also continues to witness a consistent decline and comprises nearly 11.63% of the total reported cases. The Health Ministry has informed that currently over 30,27,000 people are reported to be suffering from the viral pandemic and are either hospitalized or under home isolation. The ministry added that so far over 2 crore 27 lakh people have recovered from the COVID-19 infection in the country. In view of the rising cases of mucormycosis known as black fungus, the Union Health and Family Welfare Ministry has advised all states and union territories to review their preparedness for prevention and control of this fungal disease. The Union Health Secretary has written a letter to Chief Secretaries and Administrators of all states and UTs. In the letter, it has been urged to take preventive measures in COVID hospitals and other healthcare facilities to contain the spread of the black fungus disease. Meanwhile, the Union Government is proactively making all-round efforts to ramp up supply and availability of amphotericin B antifungal drugs for treatment of black fungus disease. Five additional manufacturers have been given license to manufacture it within the country, while the production by the existing five manufacturers are being substantially ramped up. Defense Research and Development Organization, DRDO, has developed an antibody detection-based kit, DIPCOVAN, the DIPAS VDX COVID-19 IgG antibody microbial ELISA, for seroservalence. The kit will be very useful for understanding COVID-19 epidemiology and is and assessing an individual's previous SARS-CoV-2 exposure. The kit can detect both spike as well as nucleocapsid proteins of SARS-CoV-2 virus with a high sensitivity of 97% and specificity of 99%. The Defense Ministry said the kit has been developed in association with Vanguard Diagnostic Private Limited, a development and manufacturing diagnostics company based at New Delhi. 
The company will commercially launch the product during the first week of next month. It requires just 75 minutes to conduct the test without any cross-reactivity with other diseases. The kit has a shelf life of 18 months and it is expected to be available at about 75 rupees per test. The DIPCO van kit was developed indigenously by the scientists, followed by extensive validation on more than 1,000 patient samples at various COVID-designated hospitals in Delhi. The antibody detection kit was approved by the Indian Council of Medical Research in April this year. In May, the product received the regulatory approval from the Drugs Controller General of India to manufacture for sale and distribution. Defence Minister Rajnath Singh has appreciated the efforts of DRDO and the industry in developing the kit at the time of need. Now let's take a look at coronavirus updates from around the world. South Korea on Friday approved the Moderna COVID-19 vaccine as the country attempts to speed up its inoculation efforts. South Korea's Drug Safety Minister Kim Kam Lip made the announcement at a news conference. The green light comes after two of three expert panels recommended approval be granted for the two-dose vaccine based on safety and efficacy in late-stage trials in the United States. Moderna is the fourth COVID-19 vaccine to be approved in South Korea, following doses developed by AstraZeneca, Pfizer and Johnson & Johnson. South Korea's vaccination campaign has been hampered by global shortages and shipment delays. This is All India Radio giving you the world news. Three steps to stay protected and stay safe from COVID-19. Wear face mask, do gaz ki duri to maintain social distancing, maintain hand and face hygiene. Welcome back to the World News. A ceasefire came into force in Gaza Strip, bringing halt to fighting between Israel and Hamas on Friday. The Egypt-brokered ceasefire began early this morning, ending the 11-day fighting. The Security Cabinet of Israel had approved a ceasefire in the Gaza Strip, bringing a potentially tenuous halt to the most aggressive fight in decades. The Cabinet said it had voted unanimously in favor of a mutual and unconditional truce proposed by mediator Egypt. The development came a day after U.S. President Joe Biden urged Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to seek de-escalation and amid mediation bids by Egypt, Qatar and the United Nations. In today's hotspot section, we bring you a discussion on the declaration of the ceasefire and its implications on Israel and Palestine. We have seen very severe escalation of conflict between Hamas and Israel in the Gaza Strip for the last 11 days, in which over 200 people were killed on the Palestinian side and around 12 people lost lives in Israel. Of course, both the sides reached a ceasefire agreement. We'll come to it later, but I'd like to know your views on what triggered the sudden escalation. Has Gaza been a tinderbox waiting to explode for quite some time? And do you think lack of dialogue between the two sides resulted in such an explosive situation? When you say that the lack of dialogue is a big impediment, you see, what's really happened is that Gaza is like a huge prison. It is fenced off, you know, from completely blockaded from the Israeli side. And I agree with you that it's like a tinderbox because it's sealed from one side, from the Israeli side. And then even on its southern border, which is with Egypt, again, it's called the Rafah border. Again, there is uh, there's hardly any outlet for them. So most of the supply lines are through these tunnels, which are actually quite big tunnels through which essential commodities, you know, from anything you can think of, from day-to-day -day consumer goods, 
to livestock is passed through these tunnels from the Egyptian side into Gaza. But essentially, that causes a lot of hardship for the people of the Strip. So there, it is a tinderbox for a long time. Then coupled with that is the problem of lack of dialogue, which has not been taking place for quite some time. And then you have also the radicalization which has taken place in Gaza Strip, which is that you have a Hamas group, which actually won the election, I remember around 2007 or so, and uh, they defeated uh, the Fatah, which is supposedly the more moderate group, which is, of course, in majority in the West Bank, which is the other part of the Palestinian territory. So you have the radicalization also coming into Gaza, and then you have had uh, armed support coming in from probably from Iran or from Hezbollah in the neighborhood. So you have radicalized armed population, which is under in sort of a siege and a tender box. So there's all the ingredients of a, of, a, of a conflict. And that's why we see repeatedly that every few years you have this major configuration which takes place. And I see really no end to it. Let's be changed back and there is some kind of a back channel, at least a dialogue between Israel and the Palestinians. The Israelis won't talk to the to Hamas because it is a declared as a terror group. So these are the various problems uh, which are taking place. But there is some creative way which is required to establish a dialogue and to ensure that there is some kind of a agreement which is reached, which does not, as a result of which we don't have this frequent flare-ups and the enormous loss of lives and suffering which takes place. Because, in fact, we have seen these uh, cycles of violence for nearly a century. As you know, in fact, the first large-scale violence between Palestinians and Jews took place in 1920. And since then, there were episodes of violence followed by peace negotiations. And the cycle continues, actually. Violence and then peace negotiations and again violence. So do you see a permanent resolution of the conflict in foreseeable future? Or the pattern will continue for some more times? I think... Uh... You know, around the time, to cut a long story short, I agree with you that there's a long history of conflict and wars. In fact, full-scale wars which took place 56, 73, 49. So we had this series of full-fledged wars which were fought. And then there was a peace process which started somewhere in the middle. And finally, we had the land for peace formulation and agreement of a two-state solution where you had on one side uh, Yitzhak Rabin, the former prime minister of Israel, who was actually assassinated by a Jewish radical on the Israeli side. And you had Yasser Arafat on the other side. So you had the basic structure of a peace deal, which are UN-backed and had this quartet of countries, major powers in the Security Council, which are backing this land for peace, two-state solution agreement. And I remember visiting the Palestinian territories in 2000 in Gaza. You know, there's a construction boom which has taken place in anticipation that, you know, we're going to have two states, which is Israel on one side and Palestine, and uh, living uh, in peace with each other. So the point I'm making is that we were almost there at one time. After that, things have gone south. So the basic formulation still remains, and there can be a structure which has come in. And Joe Biden actually has hinted on the two-state solution. Our Indian statement talked about uh, the two-state solution, Mr. Murthy's intervention in the UN Security Council. So there is no other way but to go back to that UN-accepted formulation for a dialogue. But that has to be structured now because in the absence of a dialogue, there are a number of forces which have emerged, which were not captured in the earlier diplomacy. What do you do with something like Hamas? If they are, you declare them a terror group, then no one talks to them. So there is an intra-Palestinian dialogue which has to take place. And they have probably have to be more inclusive from the Palestinian side 
which will uh, serve as one of the parties for a dialogue. And I think there's also a need in Israel to get real because, you know, this is not really paying off and permanently you cannot have a stage of conflict because in this particular round itself, you found that the Hamas is firing rockets ad nauseum till the time we had the peace deal. So I'm not sure whether despite the disproportionate amount of weaponry and power which Israel has vis-a-vis Hamas, but, you know, the capacity to cause damage is there and you saw rockets falling Tel Aviv and one even probably in, in Jerusalem, which was never the case earlier. And you've had civilian casualties in Israel which is taking place. Plus there are forces behind them, which is Iran on one side and probably going to have Hezbollah coming on the other side. So there is a need for Israeli side also to come to a settlement, of course, by making sure that its core security interests are safeguarded under a two-state formulation. So I think both sides will now have to move to come to a new situation because there is no other option. The escalation of violence and even rioting which took place among the Israeli Arabs and the Jewish uh, people, which were just nothing but communal riots which were triggered by this. So the whole situation is unsustainable now and it's time that each side moved the pieces to accommodate for a dialogue. I think the UN will have to play a role in it, but the bigger powers will have to play a major role. And I think the Americans, after Trump is gone, is looking in this direction. And the indication of that was clear when Joe Biden, you know, the number of phone calls he did talk to with uh, with Netanyahu, Israeli prime minister, till the time a ceasefire was opened this morning. The Americans will have to play a major role, as would have the UN. But the major thing are the interlocutors themselves, the parties themselves, which is a need for a strategic shift in thinking from the Israelis as well as from the Palestinian side. As you have rightly said, in fact, uh, the U.S. role in the region is increasing. So considering what has happened in the last 11 days and the reaction of the Gulf countries to the conflict, so do you think uh, there has been a decline of Arab power that we have witnessed uh, during this period? And the American involvement in the region particularly in reshaping the Israeli-Palestinian dispute, is increasingly becoming more evident. Uh, so what is your comment? The U.S. lost its trick under Donald Trump, went completely in favor of the Israelis. And that bad sense of balance was lost. And I think uh, what Biden is trying to do is to go back to traditional diplomacy and strike that balance where U.S. can come back their role. But I agree with you that, that there was some kind of a vacuum with the U.S. being going excessively on one side or not getting itself involved at the right time. That's the one problem. Coming to the Arabs, now that configuration has changed. You know, at one time you had the Egyptians playing a lead role as the established leader. But over time, that has got fractured. You see the Gulf countries, which you mentioned about, have actually recognized Israel. That may actually give them more room for maneuver, frankly, in the future to get both parties there. But the point is that Arab pressure, if you talk about it, was in a way fractured. And to fill in the vacuum comes in uh, Iran, which has its own relationship to Syria and others, with first with Syria, with Hamas. And uh, that particular, with the Islamic Jihad especially, and not so much with the Hamas. Yeah, are you essentially saying that, in fact, the Abraham Accords uh, between Israel and several Arab countries have actually pushed the Palestinians uh, and Hamas actually closer to Iran? It's not necessarily so. The radical wing of the Palestinians, definitely, Hamas and Islamic Jihad, would look at them for support. That's a possibility with the Abraham Accord. But frankly, the Gulf Arabs, because of the Abraham Accord and because they can talk to the Israelis directly, I think 
diplomatically there is more room now which has come in and the fact that the us iran relationship is set to improve with the coming revival of the nuclear deal or in a way coming back the rapprochement between iran and the west that is going to come through in, in all likelihood pretty soon so in a way the americans are also going to have a influence on the iranians you know when it comes uh, to the leverages agree with you that from the hamas perspective they would like to look at iran but as an alternative but iran itself is likely to change and that's the, the interesting part which is happening which has happened only recently this is a moving between iran and saudi arabia they have started talking with each other so we are going to have a situation where probably the hamas may not have that kind of uh, access to arms and ammunition and weapons from iran because that's moving in a different direction i think that's interesting to see the new dynamic which is coming in the dialogue which has started between the gulf arabs and the iranians and we'll probably see that also in yemen so the the middle east power equations are changing and there is more convergence coming in over there so the capacity to play divide and rule for organizational hamas may not be as much now so frankly i come back to the original point that chances with biden coming here and the changes in the west asia power equation that we have a good chance now to restart the dialogue process which has been stalled for so long so let us see there are good signs that uh, a situation may be arising where the parties may be more inclined to accept diplomacy as the way forward to resolve the crisis mr anaji in the last 7 uh, 8 years we have seen our foreign policy priority towards the middle east actually we have strengthened our ties in so many countries uh, in the region including saudi arabia united arab emirates bahrain oman there has been a constant focus to improve our ties as we consider the region as uh, strategically very very important for india so in that context uh, so how do you see the india's uh, position on the conflict i think uh, india has adopted a very interesting position where as you said that you know we have interest on either side in the region so the statement is a perfect example of uh, a nuanced and a balanced approach which mitigates all the minefields uh, which may come in the way so for instance uh, the statement implicitly condemns the indiscriminate uh, rocket uh, launches by hamas on israel so that goes in favor of israel for sure and that is very important because of a strategic or a strategic relation interdependence i would say with israel especially when it comes to security intelligence sharing etc so that's a critical strategic relationship we have with israel and that has to be protected in the state at the same time india has deep uh, strategic ties especially with the gulf countries for various reasons number one being we are dependent on the region for our energy supplies and then we are uh, have uh, indian guest workers which remit about 27 to 30 billion dollars if not more by way of uh, remittances uh, from the gulf region so we also cannot take a position which would antagonize the arab world and especially now the gulf arabs and therefore india went on to support the two state solution and uh, you know palestinian rights are justifiable that's essential a it is consistent with the past position b from the palestinian perspective again we have been consistent in their support and c and most importantly that it is very important for india that while it engages with israel and continues with that strategic track it also has a strategic track with the gulf arabs and both remain protected i think the statement was very finely nuanced and worded which would admit india's interests 
these will be all the constituencies in the region which are important we also have to have a great relationship with iran because without iran we can't get access into afghanistan which is another story by itself which will come into play in the days and months to come so i think overall this the statement and position we can congratulate ourselves in the way we have managed not to displease any of the constituencies jerusalem has a special place for indians at its houses uh, the indian hospice so how do you see the cultural connection between jerusalem and india well, i think it's a very strong and very ancient connection i mean jerusalem yeah. is the heart of the abrahamic religions and you see the connection of abrahamic religions with india which goes back much before the coming in you know islam which is one abrahamic religion but christianity came much before the syrian christians for example it's all from that region jerusalem is the fount of that we have very deep uh, cultural relationship with uh, jerusalem thank you so very much for your in-depth insights into the conflict thank you mr major thanks a lot welcome back noted environmentalist sundarlal bahuguna on friday passed away in rishikesh uttarakhand he was being treated for covid-19 related complications at aims hospital in the city Governor Baby Rani Maurya and Chief Minister Tirath Singh Rawat have expressed grief on his death. President Ramnath Kovind condoled the demise of noted environmentalist Sundarlal Bahuguna, terming his demise as the end of a glorious chapter in the field of conservation. President Kovind remembered the pioneer of the Chipko movement and a Padma Vibhushan body as a true guardian to the core. Prime Minister Narendra Modi has condoled the demise of noted environmentalist Sundarlal Bahuguna, terming it as a monumental loss for the nation. External Affairs Minister Dr. S. Jay Shankar will be on a five-day visit to the United States starting the 24th of this month in New York. He is expected to meet United Nations General Secretary Antonio Guterres. The Bangladesh Meteorological Department issued a cyclone alert message on Friday warning that a low pressure area is very likely to form over the North Andaman Sea and adjoining East Central Bay of Bengal. The alert cautioned that it is very likely to intensify into a cyclonic storm. It is then likely to move northwestwards and reach near the Odisha West Bengal Khulna coast of Bangladesh around 26th of May. If it turns into a cyclone it will be named Yas proposed by Oman. Yas means jasmine flower. Early this week, the cyclone Taute hit the western coast of India, causing serious damage in Gujarat, Maharashtra, Goa, Karnataka, and Kerala. Now, let us take a look at the major developments around the world as reported in the foreign press. New York Times writes on the scheduled meeting between Biden and South Korea's President Moon Jae-in on climate action, calling the meet important as South Korea is the world's seventh largest carbon emitter. The Guardian reports that Scotland will ban travel to and from English COVID hotspots from Monday. The Globe and Mail writes that Hong Kong accuses Taiwan of having grossly interfered in its internal affairs. And the Himalayan Times reports that Prime Minister KP Sharma Oli stakes claim for new government with President Bidya Devi Bhandari. United Nations President Joe Biden has signed anti-hate crime legislation on Thursday. directing federal law enforcement to address a rise in violent attacks against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders during the coronavirus pandemic in the USA. The new law seeks to speed up the Justice Department's review of anti-Asian hate crimes and designates an official at the department to oversee the effort. The measure had passed both chambers of Congress by large majority votes. The new law directs the US Department of Justice to focus on the prosecution of violent crimes 
against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. In the past year, the U.S. policy has seen a surge in racially in the past year, the U.S. police have seen a surge in racially motivated crimes against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. A quick look at the headlines once again. Prime Minister Narendra Modi stresses on making vaccination a collective responsibility in the country. Cumulative number of COVID-19 vaccine doses administered in India crosses the 19 crore mark. National recovery rate improves to 87.25%. Government of India asks states and union territories to review preparedness for prevention and control of the black fungus disease. 11 days of hostilities between Israel and Palestine end as ceasefire comes to force. South Korea approves Moderna COVID-19 vaccine as the country steps up its vaccine vaccination efforts. DRDO develops antibody detection-based kit Dipcovan and Chipko movement leader and noted environmentalist Sundarlal Bahuguna passes away due to COVID-19 related complications. India is celebrating the 151st birth anniversary of Mahatma Gandhi. Before we end, let's listen to his favorite bhajan, Vaishnavachan, by an artist from Finland. that we end this bulletin we'll be back at the same time tomorrow with the next edition of the world news